Hi everybody and welcome to this episode of the EU Careers podcast 10 questions with. So today I am joined by Rasa Galkite who works with the European Commission. So enjoy these 10 questions and all the insights that Rasa is going to share with us. Hi Hello. Rasa, how are you getting on today? Hello, thank you. I'm really fine. I hope you're all doing fine too as much as this is possible in the current circumstances, but it's better not to talk about it anymore. We've talked about that enough. <laughs> so thank you. I'm doing well. That's good. That's good. Perfect. So we just start off straight away. Just if you could tell everybody about your job, what's the job title and maybe how long you've been working in that position. Yes, I work for the European Commission now and uh, I work as an interpreter. So um, now I am a staff interpreter and I have been in this position for almost three years. I was employed in March 2018. But before that, I worked as a freelance interpreter for 10 years. And as I was a freelance interpreter, I was also working on the free market, obviously, as an interpreter back home in Lithuania, because this is where I originally come from. And uh, I also worked as an interpreter trainer at Vilnius University for almost all those 10 years. Yeah, so now I work for the European Commission and the Council, both the European Council and Council of the European Union. I don't know if you know what the difference is, but uh, one is the Council of Ministers, basically, and the other one is the group of the leaders, heads of states and government. So we work for those, and we also work for um, the European Economic and Social Committee and also the Committee of Regions. The European Parliament and the Court of Justice, they have their own interpreting services. So we do not serve them. But as a freelance interpreter, I used to work for those two too. Wow, lovely. Okay, great. So what would you say then is maybe your favorite part of the, the job you have? Well, I think I should say it's the process itself. I really enjoy the process of interpreting. It's exciting when you can listen to what a person is saying in one language and then you can understand them and then you can convey the same idea and also the same emotion, the same mood. If there is something like that in the utterance, you can convey all that in, in the other language. And especially it's satisfying if you manage to understand some idioms or some more usual um, phrases or sayings that people use and you get the meaning and you manage to find an equivalent, also an idiom, but a different one perhaps with this, just with the same meaning in another language. This is very satisfying. Humor is another thing. Jokes are very difficult to interpret. Uh, and if you get the joke and you manage to say it and you can see that your delegate who's listening to you are laughing this is really nice so I have to say it's just the process of interpreting itself that I really enjoy yeah that's great because obviously it is important to get you know tone across as well as the actual words and meaning so that's a nice part of the job I guess but so what would you say yes. then is one of the most challenging parts of the job then so a part that's difficult I would probably say that it's, it's keeping the distance, really. It depends on what you're interpreting. Sometimes you end up in situations when people are discussing some very uncomfortable topics. It could be something very cruel, very visual, very cruel, like child sexual abuse, for example, or um, female genital mutilation and things like that. And if people start describing all these processes in very, very precise details, that 
is not always easy, but you have to re repeat what they're saying. You have to continue working because this is, you are a professional, you have to do that. Or on the other side of the spectrum, it can be something really funny. And then you might want to laugh like crazy, but you cannot, you have to say the idea so that your listener can laugh. It's not about you, it's about your listener. This is one thing that we have to have in mind all the time, that it's about the people for whom we work for our clients and they have to come first. And yeah, or sometimes um, you can go to uh, some places that are not the most natural environment for you. For example, you can go to a, I don't know, a slaughterhouse. And if they have audits in there, they go on site and they go and check everything. If all the rules are being followed, and, you know, and an interpreter has to go everywhere the auditor goes and you can see things that you would not have wanted to see in your life. You can feel the smells, et cetera, et cetera. And this can be a bit disturbing sometimes, but you have to be able to control yourself and just uh, stay professional and interpret. And by the way, I just remembered one other thing, which is very satisfying and that I really enjoy in my job. It's, it's actually the ability to see the backstage, the kitchen, as we sometimes say, of uh, decision-making in the EU. You normally, you would watch the TV, you would watch the news or listen to the news and you would hear what is happening or that there some directive or some regulation has been adopted. But how did they get to that point? Nobody knows, but being an interpreter, you actually can see how it works and you can see the discussions. You can see how it, it is done because if you have 27 people with sometimes very differing opinions and they have to come to one common ground, well, you know, that's an art and it takes skill and it takes um, efforts and you can see all that and you can be part of that. So that's another thing that I, I really appreciate about my job. Amazing. Loads of uh, pros of the job then. Um, so mm -hmm. are you working in Brussels at the moment? Is that where you are located? Yes. Yes. I am now um, based in Brussels. We do get to travel a little bit. Well, we used to before the COVID, obviously. But we would go um, to Luxembourg because uh, the Council of Ministers has their meetings in Luxembourg a few times a year. So we would have to go there. And sometimes we would get to travel to the, to the country that, that holds the presidency. The, every country organizes some meetings at home, so to say. So the interpreters have to go. And the, well, just as I was saying, I would have been perhaps in Lisbon today because this is where the original meeting where I work today was supposed to take place. But, but uh, that's true. My main location where I work now is Brussels. Perfect, lovely. So what would you say then is maybe your favorite part about living or working in Brussels? It has a few good points about it, Brussels as a city. I really like its size. It's not too big or it's not too small. It has, uh, I think it's just the, the comfortable size to live in. You feel that you live in a city, it's quite vibrant, quite lively and energetic, but it's not uh, too much, it's not overwhelming. And this is very, very nice about it. It has quite a number of green spaces too. They have parks. You know, they sometimes when you look at the city, there are, you could say, two types of cities. There are some cities that have green streets. They have a lot of trees and greenery on the streets, but they do not have large parks. And there are other cities which focus on larger areas, green areas, but the streets are sort of gray and concrete. And in Brussels, you have a bit of both, but the parks are usually large ones and uh, well taken care of. And um, that's really uh, satisfying too. And I think uh, 
yeah, Brussels was the first place in the world of all the cities where I have lived that I would go and lie down in the middle of the park and read a book and sunbathe a little when the sun is out in Brussels, which does not happen too often, but it does. <laughs> it does happen. So that's, this is, yeah, everything is very close to you. Being a small city, relatively small city, it's, everything is, is very easily reachable. But at the same time, it's very varied. It has uh, very different areas, which are all very close to each other. You can have one street, which is African, we would say. The parallel street would be the people from the Middle East. Another street would be immediately very Belgian, very European. And this is just, you have to know. This is why when you move to Brussels, and the same thing happened to me too, it takes a bit of time to filter it all through and just find what is yours to find the areas where you enjoy spending time, to find the activities that you enjoy doing or taking part in because uh, it offers a lot, but everybody has different tastes. So you can find something for every taste, but you just have to take the time and, and explore and, and discover what Brussels has to offer. Lovely. Yeah, I'd love to go someday. So hopefully. But in terms of then other cities in the EU, you've mentioned a few already, but you've probably been to quite a few. Would you have any favorites? Well, yes, I have been to quite a number of cities. I was trying to uh, remember all the European countries that I've visited. The thing is, I sang in a choir when I was at university. I sang in a choir and we used to travel quite a lot. So we've been to almost all European countries and I'm very grateful for that experience to my, my choir. And uh, I also got to travel a little bit for work, being an interpreter, a freelance interpreter, especially you sometimes get hired for the events taking place abroad. So I've done that a little bit. But I would say that my favorite city is London. Now it's a bit controversial to say it's because it's, you know, they're no longer in the European Union, but it's still a European city. So I think I can still name London as my favorite city. But that, that was for several reasons. I had some rather personal reasons. I had very nice experiences in London as a child. I first visited it at the age of 12 and got, went back to it at the age of 15 and uh, many other times after that. So probably it was also because, um, well, it provided the strongest impression to me as a child, as a young uh, teenager, going out of my own native Vilnius, where, where I was born. Um, apart from that, uh, well, I would probably have to be a bit boring and say Rome, I uh, got to spend a couple of weeks in Rome last year before the pandemic started. And uh, well, you can come back there again and again. It's such a treasure well, you know, that it has so much of everything in there. So probably that. And I also enjoy discovering small cities. I will not even start enumerating them. But uh, also here in Belgium, there are quite a number of beautiful small towns that you can go to have a coffee with a friend or just take a nice walk. And that is also a beautiful thing to do. Lovely, loads of nice places basically. I do, I've been to London and Rome myself so I understand why, you, uh, why you'd love them for sure. I'd, I've been to London a few times I always like to go back and I'd love to go to Rome again so I completely, completely get, get you. <laughs> but um, okay, let's move on back to the job then yourself. So um, I don't know if you'll remember but do you have any memories of maybe your first day or first experience working in the EU? 
oh, of course, how could I forget the first day <laughs> of work? Well, the thing is, I have to say something before I start telling my impressions and memories from my first day. The thing is that as I was studying at Vilnius University to become an interpreter, we had a study visit in Brussels. So we were introduced to the European Parliament, the European Commission and the Council too. And we were taken down all those corridors and we got to visit the rooms, even sit in the booth. It was called a dummy booth then. It's not, uh, you, you can practice, but nobody's actually listening to you. This is what it basically is. So when I came to work, it was not that uh, I didn't know anything. I had already been there once or twice. But of course, it was different because that time I was officially supposed to be interpreting and working in that meeting and, and i remember very well it was uh, june the 24th 2008 was my first day of work here and it was in the european parliament um, we had a combined contract then i had uh, one meeting which took place in the european parliament but it was organized by one mep one lithuanian mep so it was a free market contract and then the following day i had uh, an official European contract, but also in the European Parliament. So for me, it was um, a very nice start. It was summer. It was, we came with uh, um, my friend, my classmate from university, who was also an interpreter, and uh, we had a really good time. And uh, actually, what I remember most of that uh, couple of days in Brussels was not the experience in the booth, but the, exper the experience outside of the booth. Because that was when I got to try steak américain for the first time. And I said I had sworn to myself that I would never, ever taste raw meat in my life. But it just, I did it without knowing. <laughs> we went somewhere to eat, uh, somewhere to the city. And we didn't speak French back in the day. And uh, we just looked through the menu and I thought, okay, what could be, you know, surely not something that I would not want to try. And I saw steak American and I thought, okay, of course, this will definitely be cooked and well done. And, and obviously it wasn't. And then, <laughs> so it was a very funny memory. We just somehow overwhelmed all the other memories that I had of my work in the booth, really. My first day for, in the council was a different story completely. That happened um, a good half a year later. And then um, I was really nervous before going there. Because I have to say that work at the European Parliament for an interpreter and at the Council really differs in its nature. The discussions differ very much in their, in their nature, nature. And uh, in the European Council, they tend to go much deeper into detail. They, they take a text, a draft regulation or, or proposal, and they really go word by word analyzing and sometimes they can spend half a day trying to decide whether to write and or 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 and slash or an or comma or or you know point or whatever the punctuation so it can get really technical and in the parliament it's uh, it's much broader usually of course I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit but that's the general impression that you get and so when i was supposed to start working for the council I, I read almost all the documents that we were supposed to discuss the following day. And yeah, it was a bit um, challenging in terms that they also have their own slang. They use the words very naturally, but you have never heard those words. So I was lucky enough to have very helpful and friendly colleagues in the booth who just told me what these words mean. 
So that was a, a very different experience. So I could say that I have two different first days at work now. Amazing. That's great to get insights into both. So thanks so much for sharing those. So you can answer this in any capacity of any place you've been, job or whatever. Um, but what do you think is the most important thing in general you've learned from working within the EU? Yes, well, the EU is a very interesting, beautiful project that brings together very many different people from different cultures, different characters, different um, habits. So working for the EU has taught me tolerance in a way and acceptance, openness. You have to understand that we're all very different. And sometimes uh, when you work in an international environment, you see a person behave in a certain way. And you might think it's their personality, but it can be just their culture, the way everybody behaves in their country. So you have to have that in mind and you have to be ready to discuss that if there is a need for that and just to not, to, not to judge by any means or, or, or jump to conclusions immediately. So, um, yeah, I think that that would be the main thing that I've learned working in the EU. It's about the size and about the variety of this project. Yeah, so obviously that's probably something then you'd say is an important quality for people to have. But is there any other kind of characteristic that you could generally say is useful to have in a person that's working in the EU? Yes, that's, that's right. That's absolutely true. I would say that openness is one of the characteristics that would help you when working for the EU. Another thing would probably be a um, sense of ownership of this entire European project. If you feel that you are really part of it, then that helps. Then you can uh, have much more satisfaction from working. Work can sometimes be challenging. It can be demanding. But if you know why you're doing it and for whom you're doing it, then that helps a lot. And yes, if you believe in, in the main ideas, I think what, what can be useful also is to just remember the main values that the European Union is based on and what they, that, that they want to project and uh, carry on into the wider world. And also the main goals of why the European Union started in the first place, then that helps too. Then you really, and if, if you own those ideas and you really want them to be true, that, uh, that helps. I'm being a bit philosophical here, but I think it's, uh, you have to have this philosophical idealistic foundation and then build all the other characteristics, all your professional skills on that. Because, uh, yeah, it's like a house. It has to have a firm foundation. So you have to understand why you're working there, why you want to do it. And then it all gets much more purpose and sense in whatever you have to do at work. Because it's not always easy. It really depends. But... Uh, you see the meaning in it all. I like that a lot. So let's say for people who are listening in, who are kind of interested in pursuing a career in the EU, would you have any particular pieces of advice that you could share with them? Well, firstly, I think, um, well, working at the European Union is an option and uh, there are also many other options. So what you have to do at the very, very beginning, I think, is to discover your passion, to discover what you are drawn to and what you really enjoy doing and where you're talented and gifted and where you would want to work. Because if you take a deeper look at the European Union institutions, you would see that there are so many different jobs in there that I think almost anybody could find something to do working at the European institutions. So the first thing is to know what kind of job you would like to do 
and then try to uh, develop, improve, learn the skills that you need to have. And then you just keep your eyes open. You, you, of course, the wonderful first step would be a traineeship that can help you get a taste of what it's like to work for the, for the EU. And you can, well, it can happen, I think, that uh, we might have a certain idea of what it's like in our head. But then when we actually try it out, then you see that, well, I don't know. And there are people who have left jobs for the EU, even though they might seem very attractive and they are very attractive, it's true, but they just realized that it was not for them. So that's, it's a very good thing to, to try it. And then uh, once you're in, of course, you have the, the network, you have the, the knowledge, the skills, then, then you just stay there. So I think it's just, I think you still have to be true to yourself. And you ha we have all been gifted with something. And we all have something to bring to the world. And it just depends on which part of the world you will be bringing it in. And the EU, European institutions, is a wonderful place to do that. But again, if you try to do something that doesn't feel natural for you, I wouldn't say that's the best choice for a happy life. So when you know what you like to do, you try to be the best at it or as good as you can be. And then you come and you offer what you have to the European institutions. Amazing. Lovely. So let's say there could be people listening in who haven't really thought about the EU or haven't, don't know that much about it. Is there anything that you think you could say that might inspire people to be kind of open to the idea of looking into it? Yes, it's maybe um, we could uh, take a look back at what I have just said answering your other questions. I think what it gives you is this broader sense of purpose. If you work at the at the open market, if you work at the private sector for some companies, it's a slightly different nature of work, trying to see the, the broader context here. The European Union is something really great, it's, it's really unique. There's, you know, it was unique when it started, it still is unique. It brings together people who are so different, but they manage to see something that unites them. And you are working to keep all this alive. So this is really a great feeling, I would say. And when I started working as a staff interpreter, this was probably the main difference that I felt compared to my work as a freelance interpreter. That you really feel that you're part of something big and something great. So that's, that's again, that philosophical foundation and that, uh, that whole big purpose that uh, working for the EU provides. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. Perfect. We'll actually leave it there. That's all my questions for you today. So I just want to thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. No problem at all. Okay, I'll just sign off now. So guys, we'll be back in another two weeks with another episode then. But I hope you enjoyed that. And until next time, take care.